are now listening to the Build a Brain podcast with Dr. Jeannie Zayer. Join the quest to shape an efficient brain that fires on all cylinders and runs like a fine-tuned machine. You are now in the capable hands of an international presenter and a pathologically optimistic brain builder. Dr. Zaire will give you the right blocks to build that three pounds of cerebral muscle for you, your child, or the young adult you teach or mentor. Block by block, thought by thought, now is the time to build a better brain. Let's get started. Welcome, friends, to episode 37 of season two. We are exploring high-quality human interaction by looking at 12 parameters of what Reuven Feuerstein called mediated learning experience, or mediation for short. And today's episode is about a feeling of competence. This one's going to be a little bit different, my friends. I'm doing an international project and a co-editor author in South Africa is W.P. Wall. So shout out to W.P. He and I are putting together an e-book that will soon be available uh, for publication on, um, I don't know what platform, but we'll get you to it if you would like the book, where there are authors from all over the world who are writing chapters. And I happen to contribute chapter four, Mediation of a Feeling of Competence. So this will be available as a PDF that you'll be able to download this script. So Denise Webb, just for you um, out there in Kansas, I know that you would like transcripts of all of the podcasts. So this one I already have written. So I'm going to be reading it and uh, but I'll stop a lot because, of course, you, you want to hear what Kibway's uh, got to say about things as well. So we'll stop once in a while and get his opinion as well. So let's dive in to this idea of a feeling of competence for the Build a Brain podcast. Learners may not realize the skills that they already have. They may be in a state of denial due to trauma or maybe just blocking from anxiety. Mediation for a sense or a feeling of competence is critical for learners to own their successes both academically and in life. Reuven Feuerstein identified at least 12 such parameters or criteria that define high-quality human interactions. Though coming from the mind of a psychologist, these parameters for how we interact with children or our friends are quickly found worthy of our attention, especially in countries around the world where many barriers exist for both teachers and learners. These parameters of mediation provide a way to lower the barriers. Teachers, specifically, are often overwhelmed with the demands of their profession. Becoming aware of this important parameter may be an an encouragement first to them. By having a sense of their own level of competence, it will be more naturally passed on to their learners. So when students are behind academically, they're physically hungry, or they're lacking resources in the home, teachers can still carefully search and discover skills their students do have in place. Begin here. 
Notice the strengths. Reuven Feuerstein stated, I quote, If you are not prepared to look at your pupil's strengths, don't touch their weaknesses. Let me say that again. If you are not prepared to look at your pupil's strengths, don't touch their weaknesses. So know your own strengths. A lot of times as adults, we're so caught up in what we can't do that we forget to realize that we have a lot of strengths as well. So that works for the children and the friends and the people whose lives we're mediating. Learners have many challenges, both from within and without, and they often feel quite hopeless in an academic setting. So when those emotions of fear or unworthiness begin hijacking the frontal lobes, the learner believes they are not worthy, that there's no hope of catching up, or they have a sense of feeling lost and being overwhelmed. So here at this place is where a teacher or a parent or any caring adult can step in and not just offer encouragement, but actually help the child see, realize, and own the skills they already possess. The skills may be academic, social, or even good survival skills. All of them have their root in those 28 cognitive functions as identified by Feuerstein, and we reviewed all of those in season one. So if you're jumping into season two and haven't heard season one, please go back and listen to all of those. As a child develops the 28 thinking skills or actions, they become empowered as learners. They now have language to describe how they learn. So the educator or mentor who can know these 28 thinking skills can realize when they're working in each student and point them out as often as possible to each child. They will methodically build up better thinking and learning in the classroom or out in the world. This in turn builds a community, which in turn builds a nation by providing thoughtful leaders. So let's stop at that point. So just that last point, Kibway, would love to get your take on how we go from building a better learner to a community to nation. What do you think? Well, I think, um, first of all, I'm so glad that we're recording this um, because I think this is a, a really important topic for the state of our society today. And I think empowering young people and children um, based off of their strengths is really important because there's a lot of do's and don'ts and shouldn'ts and things like that that children experience very, very early. I read in a study um, that children hear the word no some 70,000 times before the age of seven. Oh my gosh, say that again. 70,000 times? I gotta write that down. Before the age of seven. Aww, that's really sad. Which, well, when you think about parenting, you're trying to help the child understand boundaries, understand safety, understand how to behave correctly. All of these things are very, very important to development in children. And, you know, as you grow up, you have to maintain these 
levels of awareness. However, when you said if you're not willing to talk about a a learner's or a child's strengths, do not touch their weaknesses. I think that's a really, really powerful principle because it's much, much easier to pick out things that you think need to be improved or, or that you don't like than it is to find ways to empower people, especially if you're a very granular thinker. Um, maybe you as a parent or as an instructor or a facilitator grew up with a lot of rigidity around you. This is going to be difficult for you because you are so focused on doing everything perfectly. And if you can't see me, I'm putting up the quotes that you're missing the opportunities to create paths for empathy, paths for growth, paths for new ways of doing things. And to me, I think it's it's really powerful, that idea, because if children understand they have so many strengths, and yes, they have weaknesses as well, but they're uniquely good at certain things, they're going to go out into their community and they're going to exercise their strengths in that particular manner. And then those people who they affect will then go out into the world and continue to uh, uh, grow their impact. And so I think it really does start with empowering people rather than telling them all these things that they're not doing correctly. And you see that in the way that people manage, in the way that people parent, in the way that folks teach. You know, it's more times it's more structured around what we don't want you to do than empowering you to do what you do well effectively. Does that make sense? Am I talking in circles there? Oh, no, you're nailing it. We know that um, if, if we tell a child they can do something they don't know how to do, and we can build up a false sense of confidence, and eventually we're going to make a narcissist. So <laughs> this is not about telling a kid, oh, I know you can do this. This is about, oh, look what you already know how to do. So it is recognizing what a child already has learned how to do, and get them to see it. I know that I have had people in my life, and I'll bet you have too, Kibway, that have spoken, I like to say they have spoken into my life because they have said things, Jeannie, do you know that you're really good at, and I'll go, really? I am? Oh, I, I'd never thought about it before. And by having someone recognizing it in you, you're maybe trying to do this skill and we know that skills are built. Skills are learned. Um, you talked about that, Kibway, really well in, in our last episode on challenge, how skills are built. We, we have to, to grow them. So when we're mediating a sense of competence, we are helping the learner or our friend understand what they already have built in the way of skill that maybe they don't know or haven't recognized it yet, or they just feel um, they're very um, unsure yet that they know how to do it. So we want to help them see that they do have some skill in this area. So this is not about building a false sense of confidence. That actually doesn't help anything. So I loved how um, this parameter of mediation is very specific about uh, identifying the skills that are already there. Agree? 
Oh, absolutely. That's amazing. Let's go on with what else I wrote in this chapter. Let's see what else I wrote. (laughs) Mediated learning experience is the human quality of interaction between a teacher and a learner. So let me stop and say this could be a parent and a child or a friend and a friend. So anytime I'm talking about mediation, it's any two humans. The goal is to assist the learner in interpreting the stimulus and to eventually be able to mediate oneself. A teacher or a mentor accomplishes this by asking very good questions, and open-ended one to, uh, questions, I would add, such as, what do you see here? Hmm, okay, what else do you see? Huh, interesting. Anything else? So you ask that question maybe several times so that the learner is constantly going back and making sure they have collected a lot of precise and accurate data, which is one of the input cognitive functions. So what do you see is a very open-ended, very simple question that you can shift eventually to yourself to self-mediate by looking at a situation you have in front of you and asking, hmm, what do I see here? Okay, okay, what else do I see? So you self-mediate. The second question is, what do I think the problem is? Or what do you think the challenge is? So you ask the learner, well, hmm, so now you figured out what's on this page or this task that's in front of you. What's the challenge? And being able to articulate it happens to be cognitive function number two in the elaboration phase Uh, that would be also back in season one, is defining a problem is how we start solving it. If you can't define it or articulate the the details of the problem, you're probably going to have a pretty sloppy solution to that problem. So we often jump to this a little too quick. We think we know what the problem is when we really haven't collected enough relevant data related to the problem before we try uh, solving it. I know I was very, very guilty of this as I was a problem solver. I want to get things done. I'm a get her done kind of person. I'm real happy to have a checkoff list where I can go, yep, done, yep, done, and I can go down the list or, or throw sticky notes away because I got it done. That one really feels good to throw sticky notes away because that's accomplished. But if we slow down and ask these three questions, what do you see? What do you think the problem is? Before we get to the third question, hmm, so what's your strategy? Or what's your plan? Or how are you going to start? Anything that is around empowering the child instead of you jumping in with your friend or your child and saying, well, you need to start here and you need to do this. We often want to puff ourselves up by showing how much we know by telling someone else how to do something. But even a three or a four-year-old child can be mediated for a sense of competence by you working through these three questions, and they finally can say in their own way, here's how they're going to solve the problem of 
putting their toys away or how do I hang up my clothes or whatever the issue is that you're working on with a, a little one, let alone a teenager. Well, what's your plan, honey? What do you, what do you think you could do, buddy, uh, to solve this? Instead of you putting on your cape, I tell parents in my parent workshops, beware of the superhero cape. You like to put your cape on and jump in there and rescue your child. And we do that a lot. If the child, now I've left the script, guys, I'll get back to it. If you have a child that has any type of disability or special needs, those are kids that parents awful, often are carrying a lot of weight. They feel sometimes there's some guilt uh, or they just are embarrassed or they're, they just have a lot of sympathy for this child that has a learning disability or a physical disability. And so they tend to rescue a lot. And that's because they love this child. It's not for a bad motive at all. But if you think about it, if you've got a child that has any type of challenge in life, then you want that child to be able to overcome those challenges, right? So every time you put on your superhero cape and go in and run in and rescue, you are stealing an opportunity to empower that child to overcome that challenge themselves. So this is also going back a little bit and fitting in really nicely um, to episode 36, where we talked about mediating for a challenge. So when you're mediating for a sense of competence, you are shifting the empowerment from you to helping the child see that he can do it. So Kibwe, have you ever been tempted to put on a superhero cape? All the time. I've <laughs> actually, uh, <laughs> I've, I've done it way too many times. I actually, this is very, very poignant because for me, you know, it's hard for me to not just want to jump in and help or jump in and just do it. Or, you know, sometimes it's impatience. Other times it's, I don't know, just a knee jerk reaction. You know, it's kind of hard to, to regulate yourself in that way. It is. It is. So um, I really encourage parents and hey, I'm preaching, you know, to myself here because I was a rescuer. I was a mother. Well, a woman. Women tend to be, you know, pretty nurturing. Um, and then when you become a mom, you're nurturing even more. And then I became a special ed teacher. Oh, my word. Like we're the ultimate rescuers. We're always jumping in and rescuing too much. And so when I found this method of mediation, I knew I'd really hurt, hit pay dirt. I had found something that I personally needed. I needed to learn how to ask good questions. And now I'm going to go back to the script. The teacher also provides wait time between these carefully crafted questions. Remember the questions were, what do you see? What do you think the challenge is? And what's your strategy? If we give wait time, allowing the child to have a few, a few precious seconds to ponder answers, then with these open-ended questions, the child has much more likelihood of responding and not feeling like they're being wrong because you're waiting on them. You're giving wait time by simply providing a myriad of appropriate responses. 
So they have open-ended questions and they know now you're not going to say, no, that's wrong. You're going to listen and nod and say, what else? Okay, because you may have a child that gives you a response that you know is so far off the mark. I mean, it's it's not close to what they, they need to be doing. And so you don't judge that or say, no, you just say, hmm, what else? And try to guide them and ask more questions to get them to a better response. Eventually, you want the child to gain the ability to self mediate by asking these questions in their mind to solve problems themselves. So teachers and parents uh, have two challenges with this parameter of mediation. The first is you've got to provide a setting, a situation, ways for a child or a learner to experience competence and then to understand and accept it. So you've got to set up success. Set up children or friends or other adults you're working it. Set up for them to succeed. And then the second is for you as the teacher or parent to talk about it. You're going to help the learner or your friend recognize where they're already competent and learn how to accept it. Do you see what you just did there? Wow, that was pretty amazing. I remember two weeks ago, you weren't able to do that. Uh, we often have coaches that do this really well in uh, sports, also music teachers who will listen and say, wow, you know, just a week ago, your violin didn't sound like that. And listen to what you're doing today. Uh, a really good coach will maybe videotape an athlete and play it back for them in slow motion and say, see where your arm is when you're throwing that baseball or or a ten or holding a tennis racket. Uh, I want your shoulder to come down or your arm, your elbow to go up. And little tiny changes can make a huge difference in success. So that's slowing this whole process down of learning and having an opportunity to build the skills, small steps at a time, and being shown how I am competent. Yes, you got that. All right, now we're ready to move on to the next step. The more trauma or challenge that a, a person has had in their life for their friends, a community, the more important this art, I call it almost an art of mediation becomes. Because without a sense of personal empowerment or competence, children will continue to feel like victims of a very heavy top-down curriculum, like I'm talking about, for example, in school, coming at them at a pace and magnitude that can cause total shutdown. And so this is what I've talked with, with university professors with, is they're very worried, very concerned about the number of college students who leave. They Their scores are really low, their grades are poor, and either the college literally drops them or they walk out, they walk away. They just go, this isn't for me. Ah, this isn't what I thought it was. And so we definitely need this method of mediation happening more with our students, not only in elementary and high school, but in colleges and universities where uh, they don't have this sense of, of competence. 
Uh, teachers carry a tremendous burden of responsibility, so I'm putting quite a bit on, on us as teachers for pacing a curriculum to not cause this shutdown. Experience and knowledge of the students they teach can help lighten this burden. So the better you know your students and the more that you literally personally care about them, the more likelihood they are to stay enrolled and not drop out. I want to give a scenario of what it might sound like. <clears throat> Sometimes uh, students, by the time they hit high school or college, discover that they hate writing. I had a, when I was working on my doctorate, I had a wonderful college. He was my, my, um, on my committee and was my uh, advisor for my doctorate. And Dr. Boyd often said that we all hate to write, but we love to have written. And I think we all know that sense of, of um, where we're staring at the computer and we're procrastinating and we're thinking, oh, do I have to start this? Yes, I do. Oh, I think I'll just go make a coffee first. Then I'll feel better. Oh, you know what? That closet needs cleaned out. Well, I'll just do that first. And three hours later, we never have gotten back to the computer and we're saying in our head, well, you know, these other things, I needed to get this done. I'll do it tomorrow, right? So writing happens to be one of the cognitive skills or um, that does have to be built. You're not born with the ability to write. Language, reading, and writing is all mental representation, symbolic thought that has to be built very methodically. And it's why most of us do find writing quite a bit of challenge. So here's what mediating a student for a sense of competence might sound. So pretend I'm the teacher. I'll use you, Kibway, um, even though you're an amazing writer. Uh, Kibway, I see you have three sentences completed. Would you read them to me? Okay, excellent. So what do you think about these sentences? Meanwhile, I'm listening for anything positive. But if Kibwe tells me he thinks the sentences are terrible, if he reads them and goes, yeah, I think they're crappy, I'm going to respond with, ah, hmm. Yeah, I hear you saying you're not too happy with them yet. But, you know, I happen to see some very good points here. For example, right here, you have a good idea started. I hope you'll stick with it. Uh, can you tell me some ideas you have for making the sentences better? So see if, I'm going to see if Kibway can come up with something with how he could improve them since he doesn't like them. And if he doesn't have any, then I might make one or two simple suggestions. Well, I'd love that for you to stick with this idea. Why don't you just add a few more adjectives or could you flesh out this idea with a few more uh, sentences for this one? And I think you're going to have a great paragraph. Or let's say Kibway reads me his paragraph, his few sentences, and um, I say, what do you think? And he goes, I think they're pretty good. And I would mediate by saying, ah, then you're happy with your progress thus far. Bravo for you, Kibway. That's great. Do you have any ideas now for the next sentence? Okay, I would listen. Where is he going to go next? Okay. Would you like any suggestions from me or are you okay for now? So I'm not going to give him any ideas unless 
He asks for them. So what I've just done is empowered Kibway to decide whether he wants help or not. Who am I to jump in and start telling him what to do? Because maybe he'll surprise me and come up with some really good ideas anyway. I might go on then with, I see evidence, Kibway, that you're a better writer than you give yourself credit for. Hmm. Remember, skills are built, not born, and writing is such a challenging skill to learn how to do. Do you know it can take years? <laughs> so listen, go easy on yourself and just keep moving forward. I see some really good work here. Trust me, every time you write another sentence, you're building your skill to become a writer. All right, so there's some examples of what I might say to, uh, that would be probably to like from middle school up through college. So Kibway, did you have anyone that mediated you to write like that? Yes. Uh, I used to write a lot of poetry when I was in um, elementary grade school. And uh, my mother used to take the poetry that I would share with her and she would take her red pen and she would mark it up so severely. Um, and then she would tell me about all the things that she really liked about it. And then she would explain to me certain parts that didn't necessarily work or that maybe broke the form that I was working on or how I could improve this or that. And then she would say, you should, you should write it again and implement these, these steps. Now, for me as a kid at this point, I would just be so devastated. Um, I didn't often write second drafts. I would just write a new uh, poem because I'm like, Ugh, the inspiration's gone for that one. You just killed it, you know. But uh, she she often would 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 write notes about things or or um, give me feedback on stuff, and so. I accepted the feedback, and as I've gotten older, I realized why she used to do that. Um, but sometimes it's hard to hear feedback because you're not very confident to begin with. And so I love how you played out that scenario. I think that's very important because sometimes concepts can feel, I think I'm using this word right, concepts can feel like nebulous sometimes and kind of just out there. And so listening to you follow through with a conversation on how to provide instruction, but then also how to empower them to make further critiques and dig farther into it. That's really very tactful, the way that you did that. I, I really enjoyed that entire, um, what is that, a uh, role play scenario. Kind of role played with myself there. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, trying trying to empower a child to want to keep writing, um, the the red marks are pretty <laughs> discouraging as as you learn too. And as I was listening to you, I got to thinking why. I think it's because writing and wow, especially poetry, is like putting yourself on paper. It's very much revealing who you are as a person when we write. It's like exposing yourself. And maybe that's why some people procrastinate so much for writing because it it shows who I really am. And man, that is very risky, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you you risk 
being and doing it wrong. There's the, the funny thing about, you know, writing or, or many things that we do as individuals, um, we always think about how we're doing life, we're doing our own experience wrong, you know? And there are very many people who will criticize you on how you do anything, how you do everything. And so it's difficult sometimes to encourage people to open up because they've been rejected at different points. And so you have to steadily overcome that um, through constructive uh, uh, empowerment and criticism. Because I think that's part of being vulnerable is learning to accept other people's feedback. And that is difficult sometimes. Again, that's why I really love the way that you are you are modeling mediation for us because there's a real tactful and gentle way to not only provide very good feedback, but then also not to crush the person who you are demonstrating um, your own expertise, but with a level of empathy so that they don't feel like it was a waste of time them sharing themselves with you. Yes, yes, well put. Well put. And I, I think we, we grow when we're under, we've all had these kind of teachers or friends or pastors or mentors who pour so much positive into us and do mediate us for a sense of competence so that when they have to bring down the red pen, we actually take it better because they've given us so much positive to go back to Reuben's original a statement about don't touch their weaknesses if you haven't recognized their strengths. So just do that. Recognize a lot of strengths. And then when there are times when the red pen has to come out, you know what? We're kind of ready to take it and we're not crushed by it at all. We're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. I could make it better by doing this. So, yeah. That's great. There are children who may have life at home that is extremely difficult or people or children that have very limited resources and they've never traveled away from their block at home in their city or their countryside. So this can create mental blocks for writing because they don't have a command of a lot of language or they may not have a rich background of positive life experiences. When life is quite miserable, why should one write about that? So particularly for teachers, you might need to provide experiences in the classroom that are highly positive and rich with language or field trips and have the kids write directly about that. A lot of classrooms are asking children to write about something that they did over summer vacation or what was Christmas like for you at your house. Um, and maybe some of those experiences, the child is sitting there going, I don't want to tell you because it wasn't good. So we've got to provide those experiences. And the Feuerstein program has several programs that do that really well. For example, there's one that's called Compare and Discover the Absurd. And it's lots and lots of pictures that have a silly or um, unusual component in it that actually does point to an absurdity. 
and it makes for a lot of rich discussion about the picture and why is this absurd? Why does this not make sense? And after you mediate for 20 to 40 minutes that page, now you have kids who have something to write about. So that's another thing that I do like about uh, talking about particularly writing because it is such a challenge for so many teachers and students around the world. And the Feuerstein program does give you some rich uh, materials to do that. Let's finish up this chapter. Mediation of the parameter of a sense of competence was well identified and wisely chosen by Feuerstein to include in his list of 12 criteria for what makes human interaction of high quality. Teachers can, pra can practice this one more and more as they become aware of its ability to empower their students. And I would add parents or friends, of course, can use it as well. Because these friends or children that are in our life are the very reason we arrive in a classroom every day. As a parent, it's why we get up in the morning is to be able to... to um, speak into the lives of our children. And as friends, we want to help build our friends. In conclusion for this chapter, teachers, parents, you hold in your mind a mighty tool to improve the very world your children live in. It's called mediation, and it requires the desire to empower children with keys for thinking and learning by asking good questions providing wait time, listening to your child's answers, and giving positive feedback on what parts are right, a teacher develops a child's mind. And particularly, you are building a sense of competence in this child or person. As the teacher points out which thinking skills the child used, Feuerstein's 28 cognitive functions are being integrated. If only we could do so in every classroom around the world, especially in places where children see that a better world is behind locked doors, perhaps unaccessible to them due to poverty, war, or a language barrier. Mediation is the key to unlocking those doors. Thank you, friends, for sitting in with us on this episode of Mediation of Build-A-Brain. This one was Sense of Competence, and I hope you'll practice using it maybe even today. See you at our next episode. Thanks for listening to the Build-A-Brain podcast. If you're wanting to know more information on how to build a brain, please visit the website for the MindCap Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana at www.mind-cap.org. That's www.mind-cap.org. Children and adults from across the United States and Canada have found the cognitive help they needed at the MindCap Center. The specialized team is trained in all levels of the Feuerstein program and can literally help you or your child build a better brain. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.